to humans, wake up, wise up, do what you can, individually and together. On today's episode, producer Hannah Mulvaney takes over the Earth Humans podcast, with an amazing interview with two folks leading the charge to create sustainable, environmentally friendly ways for women in developing countries to gain and build financial independence. They work to address gender oppression by focusing on rural, women-led work that remedies issues of poverty and resource disparities. Their community-based projects aim to empower women with financial stability and drive communities away from environmentally harmful practices. But so often, environmental organizations are not sustainable because they are not holistic approaches, but self-congratulatory band-aid solutions that are not led by the communities they are inserting themselves into. But the Think Her project is. This conversation features founder and executive director Daphne DeSells and Godfrey Oyema as they discuss some of the important work they are doing in Tanzania and Kenya. Financial independence through this organization can mean the difference between life and death for some of these women, as well as an escape from sexual violence, all while sustaining their communities and their environments. It's an important conversation that we hope you enjoy. Here's Hannah Mulvaney. Okay, so um, let's jump in. So do you guys want to start by introducing yourselves and just giving um, the listeners a little bit of insight into what you do um, on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. <laughs> um, hi, everyone. My name is Daphne DeSells. I'm the founder of the Thinker Project. Um, my background is actually in sociology and environmental. Um, before this project, I was working mainly in coral reef restoration. And then I got more into the education side of things. And I'm sure we'll get into this later. But, you know, a few things that radicalized, you know, my point of view, my, my worldly view, I guess. And that's kind of what blossomed thinker. That's, that's the path we're on right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, th- thank you. Uh, my name is Godifrey. Uh, I'm speaking from Tanzania and I'm the Think Her Project uh, Country Manager and uh, my background is in the environment, biodiversity, and sustainability and my day-to-day work is to make sure that uh, we have a planet that's supposed to um, our life in a way that our our future generations meet their own needs, while at the same time we keep the balance for wildlife, biodiversity, and everything like. Awesome. So, Daphne, do you want to kind of touch on what your journey into creating Think Her was? Because I know you've had quite a you started off with this. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But we, I think we all do. I don't think anybody's journey into doing something like this is is straightforward. <laughs> and as you said, you you kind of had a bit of a, a radicalized view based on personal experiences and yeah, throughout your career. So um do you want to kind of share a little bit more about that? 
Sure. So like I said, my my educational background is in sociology and anthropology, and I kind of fell into environment because that's just kind of where my heart lies. You know, the intersections of environment and psychology and sociology is really intuitively where I just feel like I excel at, I guess. So my whole life, I've been trying to kind of find something that was the intersection of both. And, you know, I had been doing a lot of coral reef restoration And I did one last job to see if that's something I wanted to pursue with a higher education. And I just, my mind went somewhere else. In the meantime, um, I had a huge sexual harassment situation with one of my ex-employers. And that was the point of radicalization for me, I think, because I was so scared to leave a position, you know, that I was getting paid decent at. Mm because I didn't have anywhere else to go. And it made me really think like, who else is going through this? Obviously, you know, most of the world and bringing gender into it, obviously many women as well. So I did my due diligence. COVID was kind of a blessing in disguise because we were able to do so much research before launching anything and finding out that, you know, rural women in rural areas are usually the caretakers they're usually the ones that stay at home. And men, oftentimes, it's, it is in a rural area. They have to leave that area for work. Um, a lot of times, they don't come back home. A lot of times, they, you know, taper off, kind of, and they don't help the children when they're away. And I wanted to find something that would be accessible for women that do stay at home that still need to make money for their children. The number one answer we always get for why they want to make more money is because they want to send their kids to school to get a better education so they don't have to live through that process like they did before. So that's kind of where Thinker came from. It was a little bit of everything happening all at once. And obviously, you know, last year with the George Floyd case, it just everything that came together made me see, I guess, the vision a lot more clear than I ever had seen it. So and nothing was really existing like that that I knew of yet. So I was like, well, let's make it exist. <laughs> Great. So can you describe what ThinkHer is and what it does? And obviously you said that with COVID, it gave you a lot more time to do research. So what was the research and how did you get to the idea for ThinkHer? So, so the research was always really geared towards gender equality, helping women specifically. That was always something that I had in mind. Um, We did do a lot of work with a partner in Kenya in the Nairobi area. There's a lot of the slums are around the city itself. So I realized how far out of my comfort zone that was because I'm not an urban planner. I don't really know how that works. You know what I mean? It was just so far out of my comfort zone. And then I started researching a little bit more about rural areas and how in touch they are with their environment and how, you know, the people that live in that area don't necessarily know that the last tree they're cutting down is indigenous. They don't realize that the last plot of land that they're cutting down might completely off balance or offset an entire ecosystem because it's getting rid of habitat for an animal. They don't realize some of these things. So while we're mainly focused on financial independence for women in rural areas, we're also focused on the conservation biodiversity aspect. So think her really focuses on educating 
these women, not just training them for jobs, but also what's best for the environment that they're living in, what's best for their plot of land, you know, not making sure they're not deforest, you know, there's a lot of deforestation, making sure they're not cutting down the last tree and setting fires to lands that they maybe want to put more agriculture on, like there are better ways to do that. And honestly, that's where Godfrey comes in, because my main focus in conservation was coral reefs. Godfrey's main focus is terrestrial conservation. So he's really been through a lot of these projects before. And that's why I think he's such an important part um, of our team. Amazing. So that all leads us on really well to actually speaking to you, Godfrey, about what your journey into what you do has been, how you've got to where you are today, and then just learning a little bit more about you and the work that you do. Yeah, thank you, Anna. Like you definitely said, my, my main area is on terrestrial ecology, conservation, biodiversity. So from at that young age, when I was growing up, I knew uh, that environment when it is well protected, conserved, conserved, is when we can have a better life. And that better life means we need proper systems on the ground running, whether it is water protection, whether it is food, forest, biodiversity. But we need also leadership. It's very important when you're managing these natural resources. So we need everyone to be on board. So throughout my career, I've been working with different companies, with different people, women, academicians, politicians, to make sure that we have a system in place where these resources or environment in general is managed in a way that while we meet our own demands right now, we have to consider the future. So it's all about having the holistic approach of managing things, whether it is water, whether it is soil, rest, atmosphere, so everything should be kept in balance. So I've been utilizing a lot of approaches, whether from political point of view, from technological point of view, to make sure that whatever we do right now uh, takes into consideration of future uh, future generations. So that is has been my journey so far. Amazing. And how did you guys actually meet to be able to collaborate? Um, that's a funny story. So we met online. We met through LinkedIn through a mutual friend who had also not met Godfrey. They were originally friends on LinkedIn. I actually don't know how you guys became friends. You should tell this part. <laughs> yeah, so I, like you said, you know, for me, I use social media in a positive way, not like a negative way. I connect with like-minded people. I know yeah, a lot of people are dishonest on LinkedIn, but thankfully, when I met Liam from U.S., he connected me to Daphne, and we were like we are speaking the same language, the same topic. Our passion, our ambitions to make this world be a better place for everyone and living organisms. So we are like consistent in whatever we are discussing. So that's how we came about and established this kind of working relationships, and it's very beautiful. <laughs> Great. Okay. So, um, something that you guys have really touched on is looking at like a holistic approach and it's something that when I first got into conservation I really studied different conservation projects quite critically because I thought okay so you're going in and you're you're saying you can't do this and then there'll be an area where it's like protected and then they can't actually live the life that they had been living for however many thousand years in that place anymore and I had a real problem with that and it's not a sustainable way of 
managing areas it's not a sustainable livelihood for people it's something that looking at that holistic approach it's something that I really appreciated about Think Her and how much you do think about every aspect so you're thinking about the human elements but then obviously as you've just mentioned Godfrey as well like you're looking at the wildlife and you're looking at how these projects can run forever like it isn't just a quick fix if you make a project and there's no nature around it and the na- nature isn't healthy then whatever that project isn't is going to fail so why was that a really important approach for you guys ensuring that and and make, making sure it was really interwoven within the fiber of the organization you know the grassroots approach like you said the research that i had done you know with other programs it's hard to say they're not doing well because, you know, they're still giving to people, of course, mm. I understand that. But to put a schoolhouse in the middle of, you know, the mountain and not doing your research to say, can the kids get there? Like, is that possible for the kids to get there? Can the kids in this area afford it? Can we have teachers staffed for the next however many years you want the school to be in operation, building it and leaving? You know, a lot of groups do things like that and it's just not sustainable. It makes no sense. Or putting something in an area where that's not their culture. You know, that's not their culture. Like I said before, they can't, they literally can't reach it because, you know, a lot, if you don't have a car, you can't go all the way up the mountain at eight in the morning to start school, stuff like that. So the grassroots aspect of it for us specifically, I think is really important just because we want it to be, we want it to last. We want the sustainability of the project to be reachable for everyone that's involved with the project. And our proof of concept trip that we just went on last month, the interview questions that we asked were geared towards the women, what they could achieve in that time, and the land that they're on. What can you do with this land that they're on sustainably that they can do when we leave? The whole point is for us to make a project that or create something that we can eventually, you know, hands off, get out of there. Because we want to help as many people as we can. And if you're going back to the same area over and over again, that's not really a sustainable Mm. project, you know. And getting the people in that area involved for an environmental aspect makes even more sense. Because sending people from out of that area to do an environmental project once again, they're going to get up and leave eventually. It's not sustainable. That's why we think it's really important to get the people on the ground as involved as possible and as educated and trained as possible to keep the project going when we're gone. And I know you have two project sites currently. So what what does one of your projects look like? So right now, um, we actually officially launched the one in Tanzania. We have a partner, FOU. Friends of Usambara, they're a tree restoration NGO. And they've helped us a lot um, with people on the ground. Like Godfrey's not from that area. So he has to actually drive when we get together there. So eventually we'd obviously like to have an office there. But so FOU is our partner. They're a tree restoration NGO. And they actually have been giving us seedlings to do replanting for that area. So we're really focusing on agroforestry just because a lot of indigenous people from that area have land to actually work with. So agroforestry was one of the things that came up a lot. And that's why we're partnered with FOU because they're the ones who 
wrapped our seeds. And we just recently launched our 100 Women Million Tree Program with avocado seedlings in one of the areas up on the mountain. Great. So can you tell us a bit more about that program, about the Million Trees 100 Women Program? 100 Women women Million Trees. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so just like Daphne said, it's all about a restoration problem uh, where our focus is to try to restore uh, the areas that have been deforested due to different anthropogenic activities like cultivation on on water areas, uh, mountainous areas, people burning fire. So with this problem of um, 1 million to 100 women, that means we want to use the power of women, their passion, their interest in restoring the environment uh, to make sure that we bring back the cover on land that has been lost. But also this goes in hand by ensuring that we are not only, the women are not only focusing on tree planting, but we have to make sure they have other means of livelihood, like what Daphne said, you give them like avocado trees or other fruit so that they can supplement um, their nutrition requirements. So these are some of the areas that the, the project uh, will focus with only on environmental uh, protection, but also making sure that these women we are using on the project have alternative uh, sources of income. Go on, Daphne. Yeah, so the mil- that's why the Million Trees Project is so important. We use FOU because they are so in touch with you know, the locals and the government in that area. So our beneficiaries are able to help them in their mission as well with not only planting on their own lands, but the Million Tree Project goes into restoring conservation areas that have been taken down for agriculture, from fires, from floods. There's a lot of mudslides just because there aren't trees in the area to keep things together. So when FOU gets a project site that needs replanting, whether it's fruiting trees or indigenous trees, our beneficiaries can help with that program as well. So it's kind of a symbiotic relationship that we have with them. So with these million trees, there are lots of different kinds of trees. It isn't just a... Yeah. Amazing. I'm like, Godfrey would be the one to tell you that more. (laughs) Yeah, so... So, so like, Yanni, like you said, so you have like three types of trees there. We have got indigenous trees. These are for primary environmental conservation. They are really indigenous, not invasive. Uh, they are native in that area. So they promote uh, water conservation, the soil conservation. So they are total for environmental protection. But also we have another category for timber. These are timber trees like eucalyptus, like the pine, but all, however, these are not our primary because our focus is to conserve environment. And we don't want to conserve environment by using uh, exotic or invasive species. But in another category, you can say the fruit trees. So fruit trees, we have a number of different species like guava, macadamia, oranges, and the other trees, which we believe, as well as protecting the environment, they will supplement the daily nutrition requirement of these women and their families. So we have different three species and we believe this project is well, well prepared to make sure the Thinkiha meets these objectives of the environment, but also from an economic point of view. 
That's wonderful. It's an incredibly sustainable model yeah. to, to hear about. So that's great. Yeah. So something that I read about on your website also was um, that you guys do a lot of training. So with this program that you've just mentioned, is there training involved for the women as well? Or is it something that they're already pretty good at? Um, yeah, so a little bit of both. So the tree planting, our beneficiaries are coming from FOU. And they already hold positions at FOU for tree planting. So they work in the nursery and they do outplanting. So in that aspect, they're clearly trained and FOU are the ones that are, you know, much more eligible to train these (laughs) women on that specific subject. We do have, apart from agroforestry, we've been looking more into chicken breeding and rabbit breeding as well, because those markets are sellable. And the whole point of what we're doing is so they have something sustainable and marketable because there's no point in training them on things that there's nowhere to sell. So when they have these avocado trees, for example, not only is it good for nutrition for their families, they're also able to sell these fruits and whatever other fruiting trees that are available. Just like the rabbit and chicken breeding, these specific training programs are usually done by whatever business is marketing their product. So the rabbit, for example, there's a program that trains and is also the market for the rabbits. So they'll come put up a pen, teach the women what they have to do with the animals to keep them fed. A lot of them have so much land, so they're actually able to grow a lot of the feed on their own land, which is another sustainable aspect of it. The rabbits, for example, their urine and excrement, I'll say, um, can be utilized as fertilizer, but it's not natural fertilizer. So they can actually use that on their own farms as well, which is another part of the sustainability aspect of it. Great. So it sounds like you guys work really collaboratively with lots of different organizations that are kind of working in a similar um, in a similar kind of field to you. So how are those partnerships made? It's great to hear that you work so well with others. Um, it's really, really important for projects like this. How have you met these people and formed these relationships? Yeah, yeah. maybe to chip in, Yana, um, Daphne said, you see, for us, we are not technical person. I, I am an environmentalist, Daphne environmentalist as well. So for us, it is a matter of uh, identifying what kind of impact we want to create in the society. Uh, so if we think we need someone who has got a, a organic chicken farming, we have to go out there and look for that supplier or contractor. If we think we need to go with the rabbit business, we have to go out there and find in the market who is available. If we need someone who is taking knowledge on how to plant trees, we have to go out in the market and find people or relevant organizations who have that particular experience. So through mapping, through scouting, that's how we identify these relevant partners we are partnering with. So this is the approach we are using. On top of that, we specifically asked you know, our potential beneficiaries, which we did find through FOU because they're local to that area. It was just the easiest, most, I guess, grassroots way of finding eligible beneficiaries and through that process we established I guess kind of a census data on our potential beneficiaries before we launched anything and also asked them interview questions personally like one-on-one interview questions on you know things that they're interested in 
And then, of course, we put our input in after Godfrey put his in input in. Does this make sense for the land? Is this actually sustainable, et cetera? And we realized that, like I, I've said a few times already, a lot of indigenous people in that area have quite a bit of land. So they have places where they can actually put projects on. So that was the first thing. Second, obviously, trees take a little while to grow. So while we're planting these million trees, we wanted something else that made sense for them to start making that income. And they have chickens, they have rabbits, they have cows for milk and goats and stuff. So they have something established already. They just need to fine tune the training that they've, they've gotten, you know, just from, from doing it themselves. So what we're really here to do is they're completely capable. We're just here to fine tune that training and the education aspect. So for example, indigenous rabbits that a lot of our beneficiaries already have, they have one or two, they grow a lot slower, they don't breed as fast, and they don't have a market for them, for example. So us sourcing a market, sourcing rabbits that breed faster, ways that they can market what they're growing is actually really what the fine-tuning part of it is because we can give projects to all these people but if they have nowhere to sell and they have nowhere to make money it's kind of silly to do we'll be right back hey earth to humans listeners an exciting announcement if you've been listening to the show, you might know by now that we've launched our Earth to Humans book club, and we are super happy to finally invite you to our very first book club meeting, which will be Sunday, March 6th at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time via Zoom. So put that in your calendars. And our kickoff meeting will feature Mark Dowie, who is a recent guest on the show and author of The Haida Gwaii Lesson. And if you haven't listened to that episode, please go check it out. It's fantastic and sheds light on some of the current racist practices that conservation organizations across the world are implementing in the name of wilderness protection. Not hundreds of years ago, but today, right now. And this blew my mind, like learning about all this stuff, but you know, displacing indigenous communities and perpetuating false ideas of what a healthy landscape even looks like and how these communities struggle to regain sovereignty over their own ancestral homelands. It'll be an intimate conversation with opportunities to ask more questions and hang out with other ETH listeners. The best part is access to our book club is only $1 a month via our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash earth to humans. And for this meetup, you actually get a free digital download of Mark's book too. So head on over to patreon.com slash earth to humans to sign up for our inaugural book club meetup happening Sunday, March 6th at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time via Zoom, as well as a free digital copy of the book, The Haida Gwaii Lesson. Details will be sent out to our Patreon subscribers, but feel free to email us if you have any questions. So happy reading. Can't wait to see you all on Sunday, March 6th for our very first Earth Demons book club hangout meeting thing, but I promise it will be super fun. <laughs> and people who um, are in book clubs are really cool, fun fact. With these projects, obviously, by setting up these sustainable livelihoods, like what's the dream outcome for that? For your organization well I mean obviously to become established enough to where 
the women that we're training and the beneficiaries that we're training now can become leaders in their own community and pass on that knowledge to their neighbors, their children. Um, I would love, you know, a lot of community involvement. I would love the market in that specific area that we're working in to grow because people that are visiting, travelers that are visiting such a small little area of the mountain would make a huge difference for locals in that area. So that would be a great, a great, great goal as well. Obviously the environmental side of it too. I wanted to touch on the coal manufacturing if Godfrey can go more into that, because I think that's a really big thing that we're trying to avoid. And that's just one of those things that people don't know better and they're just trying to make money. Godfrey, can you go more into that with the coal, the way they make from timber? Yeah, so, I mean, like we said, it's all about sustainability. So we need to make these uh, these women, you know, the people we are working with, they, 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 they dwell on sustainable initiatives. For instance, energy in Tanzania is one of the many challenges, especially for women who have got kids, who have got young students to feed, to, to look after. So sometimes when they rely on, on, on things like charcoal or tree cutting uh, to generate firewood, which is not sustainable, so we need to move away from that um, direction and have more renewable energies in terms of briquette. I don't know, Hannah, if you know briquette. Briquettes are these um, sustainable, energy-efficient stuff which can give you uh, enough energy for cooking, for lighting, and it can cut down deforestation rates into natural forests. And that means and allow even more trees to grow, to establish, and, and, and even prevent the deforestation rate in our forest. So the Thinkia project, uh, one of the things we are looking in the future is if we can have this briquette making so that we reduce the pressure of harvesting young trees so that to allow more time to grow in the forest. We haven't discussed your project in Kenya, I've just realised. So you've, we've, we've talked about Tanzania, but is, it, is the project quite different in Kenya um, based on the different needs of the community there? Yeah, so in Kenya, that's actually where we, we started with Thinker. There is a NGO in Kenya, in Nairobi, called Cup of Uji. And Francis, which is the founder, and I connected. <laughs> Funny, I think it's over LinkedIn. LinkedIn as well. And... He does, he feeds school children. That's what his NGO is for. But he had an interest in gender equality because, you know, his mother was his biggest, I guess, superhero, you know, for education for women. She was a teacher. And that's where his love comes comes from. So he said, listen, I have this NGO. Obviously, this is our mission. This is what we're doing with the kids. But I personally want to expand and start to see how we can help women financially in the area. So that's where we started with the the area around Nairobi. We selected a group of women who were all already entrepreneurs, but they needed help to expand. And we did small micro grants for them to expand their businesses. That That was last year. And unfortunately, COVID hit. And it was just... It was kind of a mess, to be honest with you. Just a, not a mess, but it's a learning process because it's just very hard to attain that in that area. It's much harder to attain financial freedom in an area where 
people don't have their own land and they don't have the means to be able to expand because there's no space. There's no resources. There's no, the resources that they do have are very far and few. So that was a learning, that was, that was quite a learning situation for me uh, and Francis. So we still chat, obviously. I would still like to do something maybe a little bit more north where there is more of a rural, a rural area because I think that is where Thinker is pivoting towards just because I know more about environment. That is where the sweet spot is for me. And I think that is where our expertise can really come and help people in that area. With these grants that you gave out to these women, what kind of business were they in? If it Was it still an agricultural kind of feel or was it in, in other areas? So for this, actually, for this program, there was already a group of women that a lot of people in areas like that come together and they create like community savings programs. So they were already part of a community savings program, 16 beneficiaries, and they all had separate small businesses. So one was produce, they one sold produce, one made potato chips, one had like a little shop for like, you know, quick buys, like toothpaste and stuff like that, like a convenient shop, for example. And they were more along those lines a lot less with the land management because like I said before there's no land to manage so so small shops I would say small convenient shops so I've been kind of looking at your guys social media quite a lot and just kind of um yeah learning more about your organization on the lead up to um this interview but something that you guys posted the other day was a graphic that said why aren't we investing more in in women and girls And obviously, with your organization being so focused on women and girls, I just wondered why, why, why that is obviously you explained right at the beginning of the call what your why you kind of focus on that. But like, what do you think is really important about that? Like, how can you see that being important for our future? I mean, I, it's just an untapped resource. (laughs) You know, women are multitaskers by biologically, we're multitaskers. We've already been doing all of these jobs through all of history being the people that clean the house, being the people that cook, gathering, you know, timber and water in those rural areas, bringing the kids up from school, and all of that unpaid labor, keyword unpaid, it doesn't mean that they're not working. It just means that it's unpaid. So, you know, something that we came across a lot is that women are ready to work. They want to work. They want to make money. They want to send their kids to school. They want to be able to support themselves if, you know, their a husband leaves or passes away, they want to have that training and background and education. And we just aren't giving them opportunities to do that. So what it really comes down to is giving someone an opportunity. It's just so untapped. Like I said, you know, women are a lot less likely to be able to go to school. I think this generation is really changing. I think, you know, communities and families are really seeing the importance of education and what it can do for a family especially financially. And sending girls to school is also extremely important because a lot of the times the boys will go to school, but the girls won't make the cut. So keeping that, I guess, that good pattern going. Do you want to chime in, Godfrey? You said it very well because this is a historical issue because women in most societies across the world have been left behind and it's not like they are not capable. They can do a lot of things. So... If I take example in Tanzania, 
we say about 80% of women are the, are the main producer of food, but still they're lagging behind. So for me, these are the kind of opportunities where we need to empower these women, we need to elevate them from where they are, take them to the higher level, because I believe they can deliver and they deserve every opportunity available for them to go to the higher heights. Awesome. So I know that obviously from from reading your website and obviously from what you guys have said the past year and a half with the COVID pandemic and stuff, it's been really it's really changed your work like the and, and it's affected the pathway of your projects from what your website said. How has it impacted you guys? And obviously, I know you said that there's the time that it gave you obviously was a was a blessing but it's changed the project so much so what has the impact been for you guys that's a good question honestly the lack of travel (laughs) because we started projects over like online kind of you know i met i didn't meet godfrey in person until last month so that was a huge thing i actually didn't meet the whole team all together in one group till last month. So that first of all was like a huge wrench in the project. I was doing everything online. And, you know, I, I think I have a lot more emotional intelligence than like book smart. So I think that it took me to meet everyone in person and do those interviews and meet the beneficiaries to really see truly what we could do instead of just saying, oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to help this. It doesn't make sense until you're really there and you see the situation that people are living in, the resources that they have already, the resources that need to be expanded on, the training that they actually need, the education that they have and don't have. Like, you know, they obviously know everything about their land, but, you know, more worldly environmental views and aspects, kind of like, you know, what Godfrey's really good at um, communicating to them, especially when we're doing the interviews was, is this sustainable? That's something that we come back to over and over again, which I guess I didn't think about as clearly last year as I, as I'm thinking about it now. The sustainability of a project goes such a long way, and it really makes for a better grassroots, hands-on, holistic program that I don't think I was prepared for or was educated on last year like I am now, to be honest. Yeah, um, also to add on, on what uh, Daphne said, because yeah, it, it, the COVID, COVID impact is everywhere for everyone to see. Uh, and especially the, the financial, the financial flow has been really, really impacted because think uh, we have a lot of ambitions, we have a lot of objectives we want to do maybe in two, three, four years to come. But let me tell you, Hannah, a lot of things have changed. People have changed their priorities, even those the donors, the grants, uh, the amount of people donating now has been changed because people now are shifting from, from environment, from women into health issues, uh, into empowering the other, other aspects of life. So you see even COVID has impacted the finances available. And, uh, and I think now think how we have to be forced to work under, under tight budget. And um, this is an area where I think we will be heavily impacted. But I play right now, I see things slowly, slowly are starting coming back to normal. So hopefully things will be very light, very bright in the future. And you've just mentioned about your ambitions as an organization. So what what are they? What's the, the dream future look like for you guys? Are you hoping to create more projects and reach out into other countries? Or are you kind of focusing on the ones, uh, growing the ones that you... So right now, 
I mean, Tanzania, just it, everything about it blew me away, the area that we're working in, which is in Lesotho, by the way, I don't think I mentioned that before. It's in the Usambara Mountains, which is the end of the East Arc Mountain chain. Um, so with that being said, we have so many things that we want to do in Tanzania. My plan is to establish this over the next few years, see what we can get done financially. Obviously, we have financial concerns because that's what will allow us to expand. And I think if we start every project that we want slowly, and if it gains momentum, I want to be able to pick that up and move it to another area. I want us to have it so fine-tuned that we can just pick up the plans and move it to another rural area somewhere in the world. There's a lot of places that I would love to work. I don't know if they're all going to happen. And I know there are places that Godfrey would love to work too that make sense for our mission. So eventually that's what I would love to do, to be, to be able to expand and put that same training and education into other areas. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Daphne. We need to scale up these programs, but uh, like I said, we need to, to see the impact. Like, what are the difference Thinkha is making in Tanzania before the Thinkha and after the Thinkha? And if we feel we are confident that what we are doing is impacting people positively, and then we will be very confident that we can take the same project and establish it somewhere else in Tanzania or outside Tanzania. So those are the kind of ambitions that we need to have a, a proper transition from where we can say people are confident in what we are doing and they love everything we do with them. I need to mention something which is very important to you, Hannah. You see, I think maybe you need to understand like uh, how do we come to know like these women, they want this kind of project. So our approach is always participatory approach. When I say participatory, the women themselves, they know, they are the teacher, they know what they need uh, for us to support them. So we listen to them, they will come up with a lot of options, with a lot of ideas. So our, our main aim is to facilitate, to help them make proper, proper decisions that this is the way to go, this is not the way to go, so that we reach what they can call a harmonious decision between us and them. So that is a participatory approach we always take with these women. I, I, that's a good point. One of the main things that I came across, obviously, in research and just seeing what other people were doing in other projects were, if you give someone a project to do and they're not interested, eventually it'll taper off and they'll stop doing it. Um, but if you give them the freedom of, choosing and you know having a conversation i mean we're calling it interviews but we had full conversations with beneficiaries in the area different towns they had different backgrounds so we actually got quite a few of the same answers which i was really thrilled about because that means kind of everyone's on the same page you know and we were able from their information we were able to gauge what makes the, the most sense for people in that area. And I think that's the most important part of Thinker is that instead of us coming up with an idea and throwing it at people, we go to individuals and ask them what makes the most sense and have those conversations and help facilitate, like Godfrey said, what really makes the most sense for people in the area. I think to feel empowered, you need to feel listened to. I think that's very, very much the first step. And it sounds like something that you guys have got 
got really nailed. Like in the last season, I spoke to an organization who their first step in any project that they did was something called radical listening. And I love that expression. It's where you just go and you listen to people and they come up. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it's just listening to every single thing they have to say and being like, okay, well, how can we support you to do that? And yeah, as you just said, they need to be interested and they need to feel like they need to feel empowered because otherwise it's not a reflection of what your belief system is as an organization is that you want people to have a voice and you want them to have the ability to change their lives in a sustainable way. And if you weren't radically listening to them, then you've fallen at the first hurdle, haven't you really? So yeah, and you think you said empowered for the first time. We haven't said it. We haven't mentioned it at all, even though Thinker, like, you know, strongly believes in female empowerment. But that's true. Making your own decisions, you don't realize how much not being able to make those own decisions affects you, especially as a woman, because, you know, historically, we don't make all these decisions. So to give them that power, I think, is like you said, the first step to being empowered and the first step to financial freedom and independence is making that decision for yourself. I want to do better for myself. I want this training. I want this education. I want to do this for my kids. That in itself, I think, makes the difference. Absolutely. And this is very much an organisation for people that support humanitarian, environmental, women's issues, health issues, like everything you guys you guys cover. So if um if anyone out there is looking for a new organization to support so i'll be writing up the show notes after the call i'll include your guys social media links in there and your website then you'll be able to to follow your story from here on in so and if that gets you guys some donations as well then that would be wonderful earth to humans is a production of the wildlands collective it's produced every other week by Serena Simons, Matt Podolsky, and Hannah Mulvaney. Our intro sequence was edited by Matt Podolsky with shouting assistance from the Foothill School of Arts and Sciences kindergarten class. Nozomi Takayabu makes original artwork for each episode of the show, which you can find at wildlandsinc.org ETH, as well as photos from the field featuring today's guests. And if you haven't already told all of your friends about the show, leave us an honest rating and review. It really helps other folks find the show. And if you want to support the work that we do over here, consider joining our Patreon campaign for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash earth to humans. We're also on Instagram at earth to humans pod. Audio samples used in the intro sequence were provided by the Macaulay Library at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and today's music is by Blue Dot Sessions. 